0: News of the Times, Murderous Mondays, the case of Herbert Rouse Armstrong. Welcome to News of the Times. In today's episode, we have another did he or didn't he murder case of reported battle axe Catherine Armstrong from slight and mild mannered country solicitor Herbert Rouse Armstrong. It is 1922 in the small hamlet of Hay-on-Wye, a charming village that lies near the border between Wales and England. Catherine is dead from arsenic poisoning. Who did it? And a rival to Armstrong is taken violently ill after eating a baked scone having been made for him by Armstrong. Poisoning or coincidence? We investigate the background story of the Armstrongs and the events that led up to the death of Catherine. We hope you enjoy the show. Background. Herbert Rouse Armstrong was born in Plymouth, Devon in 1869. Through financial support from his aunts, Armstrong studied at Cambridge for a law degree and qualified as a solicitor in 1895. Continuing his studies in Cambridge, Armstrong achieved an M.A. in 1901. Armstrong has varyingly been described as a man of slight stature, only eight stone in weight, approximately 128 pounds, with a striking blue eyes behind gold-rimmed pince-nez. Following the customs of the times, he waxed his moustache and looked for all the world what he was a respectable solicitor. Armstrong took on different solicitor positions before finally settling in Hay-on-Wye in Breconshire in 1906. Here he met Catherine, a former schoolmistress. They married in 1907 and had three children. Armstrong worked hard and eventually took over as a partner of the law firm Cheese and Armstrong. He gained the position of clerk to the magistrates and he joined the local volunteer force. In 1914, Armstrong joined the Royal Engineers Territorial Force, where he gained the position of Major. After the war, he was referred to in the community as Major Armstrong. It was believed that Armstrong had carried on a number of illicit affairs, Whilst away during the war. Historically, it is referred to as having opened him up to a world outside of marriage. Within the community, however, he was remarked for his passive nature and his exceptional attentiveness to his wife. Catherine Armstrong. Catherine had a reputation in the community as something of a nervy, bossy ex schoolmistress who regularly publicly humiliated her slightly built husband, Herbert. Infamously during a local cricket match, where Armstrong was in the midst of playing quite well by all accounts, she was supposed to have come to where they were playing and announced to him, as well as all the company there, that he had to come home as it was time for his bath. She was most insistent. The embarrassment was reportedly excruciating not only for Armstrong himself, but also to friends and colleagues who witnessed the public humiliation. From the Weekly Dispatch, London, 16th of April 1922. Mrs Armstrong was, according to neighbours, a woman of strong character and somewhat difficult to live with. Armstrong was not allowed to smoke in his own house, but when he lit his pipe, he was obliged to go to the veranda. The boys of the village, overhearing Mrs Armstrong reprimanding Major Armstrong one day, called out, "'Hold your hand out, naughty boy!' Yet outwardly the Major was his wife's devoted slave, and when she went to the asylum he told his friends that the motorcycle and sidecar he had purchased was in order to be able to run over and visit Barnwood Asylum frequently. His absences from home from time to time were always said to be on professional business. The onset of illness After the war, upon Armstrong's return to his home, he found his wife unbalanced. Catherine had developed neuritis in her hands, preventing her from playing the piano as she used to. The local doctor, Dr Hinks, was called in. Catherine seemed to recover, but then once again seemed to be suffering the same symptoms along with mental delusions. She was said to be suffering delusions of her being a bad mother and wife. Always a dutiful and caring husband to Catherine's illness, Armstrong was known to come home early to his wife when he could and read to her, as well as care for her the best way he could. He was in constant communication with Dr Hinks. By 1920, Catherine's delusions had intensified, and it was all agreed, by all, that Catherine needed to be committed to an asylum for her ever-worsened mental and physical condition. Catherine was admitted to a private asylum called Barnwood, located near Gloucester, where she stayed for five months. Catherine returned home in January 1921, much improved, but this was not to last. Catherine's condition worsened rapidly, and she died on the 23rd of February 1921. Although Dr Hinks was perturbed by her strange and sudden death at the age of 48, He signed her death certificate as having died from gastris, heart disease and an inflammation of the kidneys. At her funeral, few residents of the village attended. The Rival At the end of the war, the economy was depressed, which impacted all local businesses. Oswald Martin had moved into Hay after the war, He became Armstrong's sole rival in the area and Armstrong took this ill. As a solicitor, Martin represented tenant farmers in general who wanted to buy the farms on which they worked. Armstrong handled the opposite side of the property owners. The property market at this time had fallen sharply. Tenant farmers wanted to renegotiate prices Whilst the owners were already under financial strain. In contrast to the quiet, unassuming Armstrong, Martin was described as brash and pushy. With an important property sale floundering, one of the property owners was unable to pay money owed to Armstrong without the original property sale going through. What had been professional bickering between Armstrong and Martin now became emotive and acrimonious as Armstrong was financially invested in the property deal going through. In October 1921, Armstrong invited Martin to his house for tea and a chat. Armstrong was known to hand a scone to Martin, stating, excuse fingers. Upon arriving home, Martin became tremendously sick, although he did recover In a few days. In attempting to explain the violent illness, he and his wife remembered having received an anonymous gift of chocolates in the post a few weeks prior. He and his visiting sister in law had tried one of the chocolates and had become terribly sick afterwards. Martin's wife Connie mentioned the coincidences to her father, the local chemist. He remembered having sold large quantities of arsenic to Armstrong, supposedly for the use as a weed killer for his garden dandelions. This revelation alarmed Martin, who went to inform Dr Hinks, the same Dr Hinks of the original death certificate of Catherine Armstrong. With a small trace of arsenic found in Martin's urine, the Home Office were advised of the poisoning concerns. The Home Office in turn sent two Scotland Yard detectives to the area to make some inquiries. Martin, in the meantime, became terrified of going anywhere near Armstrong and did his best to avoid him. With investigations underway from the Home Office, Armstrong was confronted in his office on New Year's Day and during a search a small packet of arsenic was found in his pocket. Armstrong was arrested. As the trial progressed, much new evidence came to light with ongoing investigations. A mysterious lover of Armstrong who was only identified by a pseudonym emerged. Catherine's convenient signing of her will one month before becoming so ill, she was placed in an asylum, also came to light. From the Pau Mall Gazette, 13th of April 1922, People in the Case. The principal figure in the drama are Major Herbert Rouse Armstrong, solicitor and clerk to the Hay magistrates, who is accused of murdering Mrs Catherine Armstrong, his wife, whose body was exhumed almost a year after burial, and also of attempting to murder Mr. Oswald Martin, a fellow solicitor at Hay, who he alleged to have handed a poisoned buttered scone at his Major Armstrong's house on October 26, 1921. Madam X, a widow whose identity has been kept secret, she has stated that after his wife's death, Major Armstrong proposed marriage to her, but that she was never engaged to him. A request was put forward for the exhumation of Catherine's body, where a post-mortem was completed by the famous Bernard Spilsbury of the Brighton Trunk Murders fame. The result? Catherine's body was found riddled with arsenic in lethal doses. The Outcome The local villagers were astounded. Armstrong had always been a strong member of the community and was much liked and respected. Armstrong insisted on his innocence. The arsenic was strictly for gardening purposes, he claimed. Our regular listeners will remember the Mabel Greenwood case that took place in 1919, not so dissimilar to this case, Harold Greenwood had gotten off of what was generally accepted as a travesty of justice. The police were very keen that this would not happen again. The case itself was purely circumstantial. There were no witnesses of Armstrong having poisoned anyone. From the Weekly Dispatch, London, 16th of April 1922. Motive Mystery legal expert on Armstrong's failure in box. The main attraction which brought me to Hereford, to the Armstrong trial, was to see the prisoner in the box. He, the prisoner Armstrong, entered it quite self-restrained and, I think, self-confident. He was very thoughtful in his answers and his articulation was wonderfully clear. He met the Attorney-General with splendid reserve, but crumpled under the cross-examination of Mr Justice Darling. I had no preconceived ideas as to Armstrong's guilt or innocence, but the result of his evidence in the box was to remove from my mind any lingering doubt in his favour and to convince me that he was guilty. Two things Armstrong was unable to explain. The first, the presence of the packet of white arsenic in his pocket. The second, the substitution of the will of 1920 for his wife's will of 1917. On the last point, Mr Justice Darling drove him into a cul-de-sac. What Armstrong's real motive for the murder of his wife was is not, I think, even today, quite clear. But I fancy it may be crystallised into the statement that the war revealed him of martial obligations of which he had grown tired, and that it had indoctrinated him into a sense of sexual freedom which he was not willing to abandon It is also clear that in the meantime he had fallen in love with another lady to whom, within three months of his wife's death, he proposed marriage. Lastly, although his wife's fortune of £2,300 odd was a comparatively small matter to a man in Armstrong's position, it was a matter of some importance at the moment. These circumstances, in my view, coalesced to drive Armstrong to one of the cruelest and longest continued murders that criminal history records. His attempt to account for the possession of the packet of arsenic found on his person on his arrest was worse than ludicrous. It was fatal. It drove home the last nail into his coffin, for it showed that he was accustomed to dealing with arsenic and it went far towards convincing the jury that he was carrying it about probably in the hope, such was the suggestion of the prosecution, of being able to administer a fatal dose to Martin should the latter ever have been prevailed on to accept another invitation to tea. Armstrong was convicted after a trial more impartial than any one I have witnessed in the course of 43 years of criminal experience. The judge, Mr. Justice Charles Durling, regularly ruled against the defence, and he himself cross-examined Armstrong mercilessly. In his summing up, Mr. Justice Durling praised the forensic evidence produced by Dr. Spilsbury and dismissed much of the defence witness testimony. From the Pall Mall Gazette, 13th of April 1922. Circumstantial evidence is safe to trust. Two hour final speech for the Crown. Verdict this afternoon. Mr. Justice Darling has commenced his summing up in the Armstrong trial. The last word for the Crown and for the defence has been said. When the judge has finished there remains but the trooping out of the jury and their return with their verdict, which is expected to be given late in the afternoon. It is safer to trust in circumstantial evidence, provided it be good evidence, than to trust to any one person who might go into the witness box and say they saw the crime committed. Mr Justice Darling declared, in his speech. There was a long queue of people waiting outside the court at an early hour this morning. The first arrivals were three women who took up their places a few minutes before six o'clock and by seven o'clock more than 200 people were waiting. The jury took under an hour to convict Herbert Rouse Armstrong as guilty. An appeal. An appeal was tried and failed. From the Retford and Worksop Herald and North Knots Advertiser, 16th of May 1922. The Armstrong case, prisoner's appeal fails. The appeal of Major Herbert Rouse Armstrong against his conviction for the murder of his wife by administering arsenic has failed. In the Court of Criminal Appeal yesterday, the Lord Chief Justice announced that the judges were unanimously of the opinion that the appeal should be dismissed. They would give their reasons today. Sir Henry Curtis Bennett, K.C., for Armstrong, told a press representative that he intended to apply to the Attorney General for a certificate to carry the appeal to the House of Lords. Herbert Rouse Armstrong was hanged on the 31st of May 1922 at Gloucester Prison. He became the only solicitor in United Kingdom history to be hung. From the pal mile Gazette, the 31st of May 1922, Armstrong executed five steps from cell to scaffold no confession proud of two thousand at the prison gates major herbert rouse armstrong solicitor was executed at gloucester jail on the stroke of eight o'clock this morning for the murder of his wife he made no confession ellis was the executioner from the condemned cell to the gallows was only five steps and within a minute Of his entering, all was over. Armstrong had paid the penalty. More than 2,000 people, including many women and children, gathered outside the main entrance to the prison. Some of the women carried babies in their arms. A few seconds after eight, the prison bell tolled. A little later, the usual notice was posted on the prison gates and the crowd dispersed. Armstrong is said to have slept soundly during the night. Calm to the End Innocence Asserted to the Last The execution of Armstrong is the first which has taken place at Gloucester Prison for more than ten years and Armstrong is the first solicitor to be hanged for murder in this country. It was a curious coincidence that Armstrong should go to the scaffold in the same city in which is the asylum to which he sent his unfortunate wife. While in the condemned cell, Armstrong had been zealously watched night and day by two warders awaiting the dawn of to-day. The drama of seconds. The cell, which is at the extreme end of the old prison, has two doors, one of which has not been opened since Armstrong has been its inmate until this morning. Quickly, the doomed man was pinioned and led to the adjoining compartment, where the scaffold was erected more than ten years ago. Armstrong only had to take five steps from his cell. When he stood on the drop, the rope was quickly placed around his neck, his head was covered, and within less than a minute from the time Ellis entered his cell, the bolt was drawn, and the execution was over. His children, refusal to see them in his prison cell. The most pathetic figures in the whole sad story are Armstrong's three young children. Now that their father has gone, they may soon leave Kussop, their family home, and it is to be hoped this sorrowful page in their history may in time be wiped out of their memory, for they are still too young to realise its grim significance. When the vicar of Ray and the rector of Cusop went to see Armstrong at his request yesterday, he said that although he would dearly have liked to see his children, he refused to do so in order that no picture of the prison should ever be remembered by them. Aftermath The three children became orphaned and placed in foster care. The youngest, who knew nothing of the family tragedy that had left her orphaned, only found out about the murder of her mother by her father on a school trip to Madame Tussauds, where she discovered her father as one of the waxworks on display. That concludes this episode of Murderous Mondays, the case of Herbert Rouse Armstrong. We really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, please subscribe. Our goal is 1,000 subscribers and with the fantastic support of our wonderful News of the Times community, we are making great progress towards that goal. We upload six days a week. Fridays are a new limited series called. Forgotten Fridays, where we explore a snapshot from newspaper articles, advertisements and publications of a time from long ago. Saturdays are serial killer Saturdays where we do an in-depth look at a serial killer from our extensive database. The time span of these ranges from as early as the mid-16th century to the 21st century and encompasses men women, children and couples who kill Sundays are eccentrics as we do an in-depth look at some of the quirky, unusual notable and bizarre characters from Great Britain which offers up a rich supply to choose from Mondays are murderous where we investigate in-depth a historical murder Tuesdays are twisted and usually involve a collection of stories based around a theme, such as stories of matricide or when employers go bad. Wednesdays are wicked in this new series that will explore outrageous organisations, bloody locations and shocking events with a bit of murder and mayhem sprinkled in. From all of us at News of the Times, thank you again for watching or listening. This has been News of the Times and I am Robin Coles.